And then you just, you know, you just kind of laugh, right? It just comes out that we're, we have that. This is the joy. Now, I, I, a lot of times I tell some really funny stuff, and I realize too many times I have to understand a lot of it's over some of your heads, and you don't get it. And, but, but you try to be polite, and you do that, ha, 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 ha. That's a fake laugh. That's fake laughing. You can spot it. I mean, it's like, you know, you, you try to make yourself laugh. I mean, I don't see you doing fake sneezes. Right? Some of you do fake coughs whenever, you know, something kind of, <clears throat> you try to <clears throat> cough it off, right? But, but no fake laughing here. This is real genuine stuff, right? That's, that's joy that's coming out from a heart that's been filled up and spilling over. That's what this is all about. So remember this. This is what something happening on the inside of you that comes out. It comes outside. So remember, remember this from last week. It's this, when he's talking about this gift and, and being generous, he's not... It's not that God wants something from you. It's he wants something for you. It's a overflowing of the heart. Because a lot of times when we talk about generosity or giving and serving others, we start worrying about things we have to give up. But Paul talks in terms of what God wants us to gain. So it's, it's, it's more about gaining than giving up. So as we receive God's grace, God poured out his grace upon us. His enabling grace. His gift. His generosity. He didn't have to send his son, his only begotten, the monogenes in the Greek, the one of a kind son to die for all of our sins. None of us deserved it. None of us were worth it. But now we become worthy because look what he paid for us. Huh? I mean, I see some works of art and different things that I think, you know, they find out at auction for millions of dollars, and I look at it, and it's like, either somebody was really disturbed or kindergartners drew that, right? I don't always understand all this abstract stuff and things like that. I'm not super artistic, as most of you know. But, but people who, who value that, they see the beauty in it, and it is worth that because of what someone was, you know, how much is it worth? Well, let's, let's take it to auction and see what somebody will pay for it. You're going to find out what it's worth. Think about what God paid for you. You're not worthless. That's how much you are worth. His son dying on, he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross. So you are worth, and he never gives up on you. He never regrets it. He never takes it back. It's always available. He always wants to give. God's grace, because that has been poured into our life. God's grace, it starts there. We receive it. We receive this is not about us giving at first. It's about us receiving. We receive God's grace. And it fills us up and it produces. When we understand what God is doing and has done and is going to continue to do, it produces incredible, tremendous gratitude in our hearts. Because we know we don't deserve it. And that overflows onto other people as generosity. And love. Uh, so remember the setting of this passage. The Corinthians had talked enthusiastically about giving to their brothers and sisters back in Judea. Remember we talked last week about the whole Jew-Gentile thing. So most all of these are Gentile believers. And the ones in Judea are Jewish. And there had been like, boy, I mean real racial, ethnic tensions there. But see how Christ brings things together? This is what it should be. 
when there's needless divisions and gossip and backbiting and running each other down and being prejudiced, that is, that's coming from the devil. That's Satan's strategy. In fact, you know, we talk about big, ugly sins that happen in communities and in the church. You know, we talk about drunkenness. We'll talk about drugs. We'll talk about uh, adultery. We'll talk about things like that. But I want to tell you the thing that's, that, that sometimes hinders the gospel as much as anything is our pride and our gossip and our strife and our divisions. It's us acting out of the flesh. This church had a lot of that. Paul deals with it. If you're reading through 1 Corinthians and now 2 Corinthians with us in the daily Bible readings, you, you're discovering that all over again. They had all of that. Um, so, But one of the things they did is they had promised, but, but God's done an amazing thing of bringing people together. And so they had the idea, our brothers and sisters in Judea are suffering, and we're going through some pretty good prosperous times now. We should help them. And uh, they wanted to do that, and, and they said they were going to do it, and the word of what they were going to do spread to these new believers that are over in, uh, up north of them in Macedonia and all throughout their region. And, and so guess what? Uh, those other churches heard about this and said, you know what? That convicts us. We should participate as well. All of this was voluntary and willing. And so the churches of Macedonia were going through a tough time. They weren't prospering like people in Corinth. They were going through a very difficult time. In fact, he said it was in, what was it, like uh, severe tribulation and, and extreme poverty. They gave. And, and said they even gave beyond. And it's amazing. They were joyful. They were begging to do it. Now, the thing about it is they had done that. And now he's going back. Corinth said, now look, you guys have talked it, but you still haven't done it. It's been a year. So I'm going to send Titus and some of the brothers. They're going to go over there, send in this letter ahead so that you'll be ready. It's going to be embarrassing since you've talked so much about what you're going to do if you don't do it. It's going to be embarrassing uh, to, to all of us. And so we want to make sure you're prepared. No one's forcing you to do it. You've committed to do it, but no one's forcing you. So they're going to go, and they're going to, they're going to be there. And so he sends several people with him because if they're going to take this gift, they want accountability that no one you know, sticks any of it in their pocket, right? So it's amazing to me how Paul wanted to make sure things were done uh, above board and very accountable with the way he handled these, this gift and, and the funds. So, um, so this is the thing that's, that he's dealing with here. Um, so Paul uses the Macedonians as an example of going through tough times and still what they did. And he's teaching us this. I mean, how could people with so little do so much? Here's, here's a thought. You ready? I don't have it up there. You need to catch this. It's not about amount. Because even just given a little bit, some of the Corinthians maybe could have really outgiven all those Macedonians who gave above and beyond as far as dollar amount. Well, they didn't call them dollars, but you know what I mean. It's not about amount. It's about mindset. And heart. That's what it's about. It's about what's in your heart and what's on your mind. Um, we often have a mindset that holds us back. We have so much more than they did. But we have the mindset of this. I just don't have enough. 
I would like to help, but, you know, I don't have enough. We got so much more than they did. I know people who maybe don't even have $100 to their name who don't feel like they have enough. But I also know of people who have millions who do not think they have enough. So it's not amount, it's mindset. It's mindset. Um, so let's just, okay, let's put this up there. Enough is not an amount, it's a mindset. So I did put it up there. I wanted you to think about it, though. It's not an amount, it's a mindset. We serve an abundant God who is limitless. And he wants to meet our needs, but he also wants to meet the needs of others through us. So here's what God wants to do is to flip our mindset from not enough to more than enough. And here's one thing that I see the Macedonians doing because it, 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 it goes deeper than what you think. Part of this mindset is understanding about ownership. So if, if I'm going to go out and um, I, there's, a, there's some people I need to get a gift for and say somebody says, you really should spend $100, sometimes that can be a little tough. Dig deep here. I'll have to say, Clarissa, can I borrow some money? But can I have an advance on my allowance? No. But but if if say, you know, um, let's say one of you give me a hundred dollar bill and say, you know, I want you to buy something for these people. You give me a hundred dollar bill. I just got to tell you, it's a whole lot easier to go spend that when it's coming out of your pocket than if it was, you know, mine. And I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to figure out some ways that I can cut some things here. So I've, I've got this, because I can do it myself. But when you give me $100, it's a whole lot easier to spend. This is what's, this, this could be like, I'm not going to get into politics, but this is the thing with our government. It's a whole lot easier to spend it when it's not your money, right? Uh, did you see that? Uh, but, but that's true. That's true. That's why it was so easy for the Macedonians, because what they had, they realized, was not theirs. They realized that it was God's, that God's the owner. It's not my money. It's not my stuff. It's not even my time and resources. It all belongs to God. It all comes from God, and it's all distributed by God as he sees fit. All right? And so that calls to mind 1 Chronicles 29, 14, when David, when they were getting ready to build the temple, trying to prepare for it, which Solomon actually fulfilled it, he says in this verse, he says, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. So it's not about giving, it's about returning. I'm not really giving. He's the one who's giving. And I just take what he's giving and I return to him. That's what David was saying there. The Macedonians got that. And that's why it was so easy for them. Um, there, there were false teachers, though, who were infecting the church. And it seems like their influence had been a big part here. And, and, and they, they were greedy and things like that. So let's go into the teaching. Let's just fly through some of these verses. So have them out there. And let's take a look at it. So is it a blessing or an obligation that you have to give? Uh, Paul wants them to fulfill the promise that they made. No one made them make this promise 
but he wants them to do it with the right attitude. So he gives some encouragement by you know, saying, it's, it's probably not even necessary that, I want to encourage you, it's probably not even necessary that I write this, you know, because I'm sure you're going to do it. I, I have that kind of expectation. You know, I don't want to be embarrassed, but I expect that you're going to do this. That's why, and, and a lot of even more modern translations use this word that we don't use very often. He says, it is superfluous. Um, I'm going to start using that. It needs to come back. But you kind of get the idea of what that word means. It means over and above. It means overflow. Like it's, but it can also mean superior and advantageous. So this is probably more than what I need to do, but it's, it's, it's advantageous for you, to, for me to do this, right? That's what that word means. Uh, and he recalls there, verse 2, I know your readiness or willingness or eagerness. Uh, the word means an eager desire. I know that you didn't just shoot off your mouth. I know about your willingness, your eagerness, your readiness, of which I, I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, that they really do mean to do this. And, you know, they, they uh, you know, I told them you've been ready, uh, but, but then it hasn't happened, right? And then, so, and then there's zeal. You see that in, uh, it says, and your zeal is stirred up most of them at the end of that verse. Um, uh, their zeal to help had become well known. And they had stirred up the other people to give, uh, who we know went ahead and did it, even during a time of, uh, of uh, affliction and poverty. So Paul wants them to be ready when Titus and the guys get there. Verse 4, um, when they get there, he wants them to be ready. So this letter's going on ahead. Uh, so he wants them to be ready so no one's embarrassed. And, 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 and then um, Paul is encouraging the brothers and sisters uh, to go um, ahead and to help them prepare so they can fulfill that promise and being careful that it comes, here's it, that you fulfill the promise, but be careful that this comes out of the generosity, out of the, out of the gift, right? That it's a gift, uh, as verse 5 says, look at this, um, to arrange in advance for the gift you've promised so it may be as a willing gift. Do you see that? Now, here's something funny. Uh, a lot of these verses I first read and learned and studied using the old King James, which is kind of how English people, English-speaking people talked hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, it, it, some of it does become tough because we, we have a better understanding of Koine Greek and, and some other things now than we even had then. Uh, but, you know, if you're the type of person that, that likes to to read and study in the way that we may have used the language hundreds and hundreds of years ago. If it's not a barrier to you, fine. Uh, but for some people, it really makes it hard to understand. And, and I've had this question come up before because he doesn't use the word gift in the, in the old translation. It's the word bounty. Bounty. And we look at bounty as something you get for turning in a criminal. See, see I'm saying words change. Huh? Uh, but But... But if you study into the word, you'll see why it was used then. When you think of the word bounty, think of bountiful or gift. That's kind of how that started. If you can find this person and turn them in, you'll get a gift. See? Bounty. Uh, bountiful. And the only reason I bring that out is the same word in the Greek is used in verse 6 twice. It's the same word. So when he's talking about this... He's talking, here's the Greek word. Can I show it to you? Uh, you're going you're gonna to laugh. This is kind of funny. Um, it's uh, willing gift or bounty is, uh, and I don't know if I'll say this right, eulogia. Or we get our English word eulogy from it. 
You been to a funeral and someone re- does a eulogy? Well, it's a blessing. It's really what that word means. The word literally means a blessing. And so what he's talking about is this blessing that you want to give as a gift. It's an overflow, um, something good to help somebody, and it's, and it's going to be free and willing. And then he goes on to use the same word when he says, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It's a blessing. He wants it to be out of blessing and not a grudging obligation or compulsion. The word here in the ESV is extraction. We're not coming to extract this from you. It needs to be blessing, not obligation. Are you following this? Are you really? You sure? Okay, good. Uh, The literal word that's translated extraction here or compulsion or whatever is a Greek word that literally means covetousness, surprisingly. Um, and this was not just to be done to equal others or just to look good. Uh, and, and the word used like this uh, may mean that he doesn't want it to be because they think that the apostles covet that gift from them. It's not that. That's not why you should give, that we would have the authority to extract it from you. Because here's what we know. True giving is God's grace at work in and through us. And it may have been where there were required things to be done in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're not under law or obligation to give or do a certain amount. Did you, know, did you hear that? I know a lot of preachers sometimes cross up Old and New Testament. In the New Testament, Christ has fulfilled the law. There's no law requiring you that you have to do this as far as giving. Now, we believe in the tithe principle because it's fair for everyone. And it was before the law, Abraham, and then, you know, uh, it's fair. But this is between you and God. There's no law. It comes from grace. And here's what I find. When we operate as receiving grace, reacting with gratitude and generosity, our giving is usually more than if it was just a law. That's what I found. That we go beyond Instead of, oh, I don't have to do this. No, don't have to. You get to. You want to. Because you understand you're blessed to be a blessing. And that's the whole principle of what he's teaching here. uh, That this is what it's about. Now, there's another sense in which covetousness could be used. And it's not really what Paul was teaching here. But it fits the context of what we're talking about. There are some people that try to extract money out of others by appealing to covetousness. In that, they misunderstand this passage. And they, they invoke them to give on the premise that the primary goal of such giving will be that um, you're going to get more. You plant your seed and you're going to get more. So, I'm not being, I'm not blessed I'm not realizing I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm just going to give this because of what I can get. You know, there's scams use that all the time. If you send in a certain amount of money, then you'll get the prize. There are TV preachers and others that do this every day, folks. Don't fall for it. They take this seed faith principle and go a direction different than what Paul's teaching here. Please understand this. Okay, Because if you are only giving to get, hear me now, 
If you're only giving to get, that would not you being a, that's not you being a blessing to others. It's you trying to bless you. That's not grace. Shouldn't it be strange that you'd be motivated to give mainly because you lust after more for yourself? That's not how the gospel of grace works. There are a lot of ways to be considered rich, and most do not involve material things. Remember that giving is viewed by God not as an amount, but as a percentage. Remember the widow who put the two little tiny coins in, and he said she gave more than the ones that gave the big gift because it was about percentage, right? And so please understand it's not the amount of a check you write, it's the percentage. God sees how, he knows how selfish we are. He knows how much we trust him. He knows how much we think that what, ours, what we have is ours or really his, all of that. And, and here's the thing he wants us to understand, that he will bless us and he finds someone that I'm willing to understand this and the more a better steward and manager you are of what you realize really belongs to God, he's gonna maybe, he maybe will entrust you to more. Like if I'm being selfish with what God has given me, why should he give me more? But if he sees I'm a good manager of it and I'm filled with gratitude and generosity and willing to, 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 to be a blessing to others, I want to be a conduit, a blessing to others, he might entrust me with more because I will be a good manager of it. If I'm a bad manager now, why give me more? So there is a principle there, but even at that, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about the kingdom. It's about blessing others. True generosity is this. It's a worshipful act towards God. It starts out first there. I am worshiping God by confessing that I realize everything that I have is His, comes from Him, belongs to Him. And I am worshiping Him as I give to others. So it's a worshipful act towards God that also serves as a blessing toward others. Two things are happening. I'm worshiping and glorifying God. I'm blessing God and I'm blessing others. Isn't that awesome? How that works. So he uses this principle from nature. In verse 6 he says, point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're planting and you want to have a good crop, if you are being so cheap and so tight that you don't put a fourth of the amount, farmers, give me an amen, you don't put a fourth of the amount of seed that the amount of acreage requires for, you're not going to have that great a crop, right? So you plant more seed, you're going to get more crop. This, you know, so sow bountifully and you're going to reap bountifully. I mean, this is a flip side of the principle. Sometimes because we're stingy, we're trying to hold on what we got, we actually end up missing out on so much. It backfires, just like so many traps the devil gets us in. Um, so the more you plant, the greater the harvest. The more seed planted, the greater the fruitfulness. Now he's not teaching. Here's what he's not teaching. He's not teaching that when you sow seed, you obligate God. Notice how I said that? Obligate God. I'm emphasizing that. 
you're obligating God to bless you in some financial way. And I say that because I get so sick and tired of these charlatans on the internet and on TV trying to, to get you to give, thinking that you're going to get a new car. You're going to get. It's all about material things. That's not what he's teaching. That's you trying to bless you. That's not the point of the seed that you're planting here. It's to the kingdom of God. Uh, so he's not saying that when you do this, now God has to do it. He may bless you in other ways. God's not some utilitarian genie who has to grant your desires for indulgence. Remember, Jesus taught a lot about the deceitfulness of riches. Instead uh, of trying to speak wealth into existence, I want to tell you, that's not God's plan for you to speak wealth into existence. Here is God's plan. More seed, more fruitfulness. We are blessed to be a blessing. All right? God's plan for prosperity centers on his grace. It centers on you realizing you have received his grace that you don't deserve it and you can't earn it. And it results in generous giving, not greedy accumulation. Did you get that? God's plan for prosperity. You want to really prosper? You want to hear prosperity gospel? It's this. It centers on his grace and it results in generous giving, not greedy accumulation. Okay. I'm going to move on now. The appeal is not to self-interest. The promise is not that God will reward generous, generous givers so you can consume things on your own desires. The real purpose of God's gracious rewarding of believers will become evident as we become, and we are blessed in so many ways, and we use that blessing, we enjoy the blessing, but we use the blessing to bless God and others. And the more we invest in the work of the Lord, the more the fruit will abound. The more you invest in the kingdom of God, the greater your reward in many, 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 many ways. It could be in financial, it could be in other resources, it could be in other areas. It, it, it is certainly going to be in heaven. So here's something to remember before we wrap it up. While it is possible to give without loving, it's impossible to love without giving. It is possible to give without loving, but it's impossible to truly love and not give because that's what love does. God so loved that he gave. And the result is you become hilarious. You become a joyful blessing. You're blessing others and you are joyful and excited and have a glow about you. So grace giving comes from your heart before your wallet. God's always looking at the motive of the heart. So you're not under any legalistic requirement, as I said. It's a work of grace in your heart. You're to give as you feel led and have decided or purposed in your heart. We're not to do it reluctantly. That means grudgingly. That word in verse 7 can mean pain. Don't do it. We're not to give because we've been grieved into it. You've heard the old expression, give till it hurts. Paul's not saying that. He says that it, it, it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't cause hurt or sorrow. It causes joy and blessing. You, you might sacrifice some personal things in order to do it, but the result is not pain. The result is joy. Don't give out a compulsion or necessity. <clears throat> not meaning that a gift sometimes isn't necessary to meet someone's need, but the sense is that you don't give because you don't feel like you have a choice. That is not ever, ever need to be the way it is here. 
that you feel like you have to give, that you don't have a choice. You always have a choice because it's between you and God, not between you and this church or you and me or anybody else. It's between you and God. That's who you answer to. Now, we make a commitment when we connect with this church as a functioning part of the body, also called member, that we make a commitment that we're going to support the work of God through this body of believers. And let me just tell you, and, and we may in the weeks ahead or after the first year share, because you need to be updated, because everybody shows up at business meetings and sees our reports. I guarantee you that most of you have no idea how much has gone into the kingdom of God from little old poor Hartville. First Free Will Baptist Church in Hartville. Probably have no idea of the work that's going on around the world, foreign missions, church planting here, ministry to homeless drilling wells and other places that don't have clean water. We're talking about ministry to those who are in jail, ministries to those who are in other types of tough situations. We have so many things in children's homes. So many things that as you just worship and give here, and we don't even pass the plate. It's still back there. You walk by it, you do as God directs you. But when we put it together, it's amazing together what impact is being made for the kingdom of God all over the world. I'm astounded. I've been amazed. I don't even understand it. But coming even out of COVID, what, what God is doing through you has just astounded all of us, uh, especially on, on our board as we look at it. And we want to be good stewards of this, realizing this isn't ours, it's God's, right? So the same thing goes for the church, the local church, as goes for the individual. This is God's, and it all belongs to Him. This principle always stands. This principle, it's impossible to outgive God. Amen? You can't outgive. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, having, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound, abundance abound in blessing, in all good works. You get ready to be a good steward and serve him, he's going to fill you up so that you don't run dry. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to run dry. But you can't outgive God. He is able to pour all kinds of grace on you. And he wants to use you. As it is written, verse 9, he distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. You're going to have sufficiency and contentment and overflow of fruitfulness for every good work. Those are the works, the good works, those are the ones that glorify God, by the way. Verse 9 actually quotes Psalm 112, 9. Um, verse 9 does. So this describes the righteous as he or she disperses God's blessings, both their righteous act and God's gift that was dispersed. It continues on forever. So as we give, it goes out from here, and it blesses others who bless others who bless others, and it goes on down. And some of the blessings that we're being blessed with right now came through other people who went ahead of us who may already even be in heaven, but because of their gift and because of their lives, we're still being blessed today. That's how God wants to work it, y'all. So even as you give and as you're a blessing, and the blessings flow out from you, and it continues on throughout eternity. Can't get a better return than that. 
And, and we're, and, <coughs> excuse me, another reminder that God is the one who owns everything in verse 10. He's the one that supplies seed to the sower. So you're going to sow your seed? Okay, who made your seed? God. He supplies seed to the sower. And, and bread for food. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And he's going to increase the harvest of what? Your righteousness, which will glorify him and bless others. He's in the business, folks, of multiplying. You try God on this and see. You absolutely, if you do it with the right heart, cannot outgive him. So we are blessed for being a blessing. He's glorified because the fruit and the increase ultimately come from him and return to him. So, in closing, don't stop the flow. Don't stop the flow of God's grace through your life by being greedy. He goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So he's going to enrich you, and you're going to have more blessings. You're going to have all kinds of blessings to enjoy. You're going to have joy, but he's going to enrich you for the purpose of being generous. And it's going to result in thanksgiving to God. Isn't that powerful? And as you be, Others in the family of God will give thanks to him for what he's doing through you. Thankful for your faithfulness. The needs of many saints are provided for by God through you. And it overflows to even more thanksgiving as we saw. Verse 12. Overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13. Those who are blessed glorify God and it proves our love and serving. He says by their approval of this service they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and all others. See how it affects others? And it also draws us closer as a family of God because as they give to these people who used to be enemies, verse 14 says, they long for you and they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that they see on you. Pulls us together. And then more thanksgiving to God. Why? Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable, inexpressible, unspeakable gift. You still haven't gotten close to how much he's given. He gave the greatest gift of all. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Christ. And that leads us right into our Christmas focus. Amen? Here we are. Pray with me.